Alrighty, guys, I am so excited to dive into this episode today about animal-based eating. This is something that I've been experimenting with for several months now, and I cannot tell you how hype I am to share this because this is something that's literally changed. I have never felt so good. Initially, I was, I have always eaten quote unquote pretty clean, pretty healthy, pretty macro friendly, what have you. But I noticed that I just never felt 100%. There was always something, whether it was I was feeling a little bit inflamed, my digestion was always a little bit off, and I could not pinpoint, regardless of what I cut out, regardless of what I was eating or not eating, it just never really added up that I wasn't feeling awesome. And you kind of can tell when you know that there's a little bit more potential to feel better. So what I discovered, and over time, I just was like, I'm going to experiment with this. It's simply a way of eating that kind of goes with our human nature. Like it sort of aligns with how our ancestors ate. And the more research that I did, the more I learned about it, the more I was like, dang, this makes sense. So instead of eating to just, you know, eating what's convenient, we're more so focusing on finding foods that make us thrive and foods that are not just obviously giving us calories and energy, but optimizing our internal health, cognition, digestion, you know, giving us everything that we need and very little to nothing that we don't need. So what I've been focusing my diet around is ruminant animals. So things like cows, a lot of red meat, any sort of quality meat though. I've been just kind of paying attention to how I feel. I'm consuming how ancestrally we ate was nose to tail. So that includes organ meats, bone broth, things like that. I have not, I have eaten raw liver in the past. That is not something I'm doing on the current approach. I am taking We'll talk more about this, but I am just supplementing with organs. And then the least protected plant foods like fruit and honey. So you're probably like, Elsie, what do you mean protected? That brings me to my first frequently asked question. So why fruits? Why not vegetables? Here's the thing, guys. Plants contain defense chemicals that are designed to help them avoid being eaten. So if the part of the plant, like the leaves, the seeds, the roots gets eaten, the plant will die. Therefore, it's not able to transfer its DNA seeds onto the next generation to continue to reproduce. That's its life goal. So most parts of the plants contain known defense chemicals that will even make animals sick. If a cow eats too much of a certain plant, they're going to get sick. Well, that's a whole nother rabbit trail because cows have four stomachs. So they have the ability to consume more of these defense chemicals because they have a more intense digestive system. We do not have that. So anyways, these seeds and other reproductive components of plants like nuts, legumes, they tend to complain most of these plant toxins. So if you ever wonder like why do we have to soak or boil or cook things for hours to make them edible and then it's onto the roots, stems and leaves. Those are containing kind of medium levels of these plant defense chemicals. Fruits are the part of the plant, think about it. They are sweet, they are colorful, they are meant to be eaten. We are not herbivores. We don't necessarily have the ability to filter out or digest these compounds. 
So it's important that we know these are the part of the plants that actually rely on predation. So this part of the plant is designed to be eaten so that the creature eating it will transport the plant seeds to a new location. So it's part of the plant that like it wants to be eaten. It was meant to be eaten. We even want to consider that unripe fruit when it's green or it's harder, it's going to contain higher levels of these defense chemicals. So eating ripe fruit is best. These foods have been linked to things like autoimmunity or chronic inflammation. And I promise you guys, I am not saying I'm never going to eat vegetables again. However, since making this switch, even after a few days, a few weeks, I felt so much better, so much less inflammation, so much better digestion. I cannot tell you. I thought my digestion was pretty, pretty freaking good. And I was like, how was I possibly ignoring those signs? So if you're suspicious, if you're like, I don't know, I'll see. I don't know if I, if I am bought in. I promise you, I wasn't either until I felt it for myself. Second question I get often is supplements. Because I don't currently have access or want to eat organ meats, like I said, this is a big part of this diet is getting these super bioavailable nutrients from organ meats. So I am supplementing with desiccated beef liver and organs. That's our second best option. It's something that I actually have done for years because of the nutrient profile we get from these foods that really aren't available anywhere else. I am not a big fan of synthetic supplements in general. Usually it's, like I said, in a bio-unavailable form, meaning that we're not able to utilize a lot of what's coming in or it's in forms that we really can't, our bodies that can't utilize. Another thing that I am supplementing with is salt is key. Carbohydrates will help us kind of keep electrolyte balance here, but instead of seasonings, I'm just making sure I'm getting adequate real salt. So sea salt is a performance and hydration optimizer. You'll know if you have any sort of electrolyte imbalance, you're going to maybe feel lightheaded. You're going to maybe feel nauseous. You're going to maybe feel like you're holding on to water if we have imbalances in these things. So I am supplementing with obviously adding salt to my meals and doing an electrolyte supplement if needed. Without processed foods, you might be like, Elsie, I get tons of sodium. What are you talking about? It's because we aren't consuming the processed foods. So it's crucial. We're getting enough sodium and in balance with these other electrolytes. So, so far we know I'm eating meat, I'm eating butter, I'm eating fruits, and that's including avocado as well for extra fat. I'm eating honey. So these are not necessarily the like end all be all, but this is what's worked for me so far. And the, the point of it is, is that we are, like I said, eating the most nutrient dense possible foods while avoiding things that are harmful or potentially harmful or things that just don't digest well. I think it's important to note here, and you'll see this theme, I am not sold on the idea that there is a one-size-fits-all way of eating for every human out there. That's just not how it is. We are all so, so different. However, I am an advocate for experimenting, being open-minded, and finding what works for you. If you feel good on the current way that you are eating, awesome. If you don't, I would encourage you to get curious, 
change things up. If it's not working, if you aren't thriving, find out what will make you thrive. I want to talk a little bit also about the benefits that I've seen, because this is something that, like I said, I ate pretty healthy before. I am a relatively lean human. And so I wasn't necessarily here with a ton of health issues that were coming up. However, over the course of my fitness journey, I have had things that are very unusual. And I knew that they were coming down to nutrition, to lifestyle, to stress, to hormones. And so benefits that I have seen, even in the short few months that I have been eating this way, are number one, hormone balance. So I have been on a hormone balancing journey prior to starting this. But let's just say I have literally never felt so vital. Like I, my skin cleared up, TMI, but my libido has never been this insane. My hair and nails are as healthy as ever. And like any brain fog or sluggishness or anything that I had before is gone. I talked about my digestion, but like little to no bloat. There was a small adjustment period with my digestion. And you'll notice this as we increase fats, which is something that typically we do have a higher fat intake from these saturated animal fats, which we'll talk about, that your digestion may be a little bit off for a little bit while we're adjusting. That's just because we don't necessarily have the digestive system adaptation we need to process all these fats. However, that was something that was over pretty quickly. And I honestly immediately had felt better in terms of digestion, regularity, all of that stuff. Also, my mood is literally like on 10. Like, I feel so good. I am going to advocate for this all day long that find what makes you feel good. I want everyone to feel like this. And that's why basically since starting, I haven't been able to shut up about it. Because these animal foods are so rich in bioavailable nutrients, it's helping to optimize balanced hormones. And like, if you are somebody who has an irregular cycle or you have issues with inflammation, maybe you have a really low sex drive, maybe you have really bad PMS. Those are signs of possible underlying hormonal imbalance, which can be really caused by nutrient deficiencies and poor diet and things like that. So most cases, hormonal imbalance and infertility we see today are correlated with those things. That means that they can also be reversed with nutritional changes. So that's super exciting. And one thing that I was actually very surprised to see included in a lot of the kind of descriptors of animal-based eating is honey. Because I, just like everyone else, was kind of under the impression of honey and syrup. Yes, they're natural alternatives to maybe a processed sugar, obviously better than that. But I was like, no, too much sugar, too much fructose, too much sucrose is going to be it's going to be harmful. Here's the thing. Honey is a raw, complex food. So it's found in nature. It is not processed the same in the body as let's say a soda, if if that makes sense. You'll find that like honey does not have the same effect on blood sugar as a sucrose or as a processed sugar. So it's actually been proven to improve. And the more I delve into these studies, guys, the more I was like literally blown away because it made sense. And I noticed that when I incorporated honey, I didn't get the same highs and crashes as I did. So 
it showed that it's been proven to improve many health markers, blood sugar levels, like even in people who were quote unquote diabetic. So most people who have metabolic dysfunction are that way, not necessarily because of like the carbohydrates themselves, because honey, sugar is a carb, but it's because of the consumption of the overprocessed foods. So this is why we'll talk about what we maybe want to avoid, but truthfully, honey has been very beneficial and I have felt so good, like energy, I'm not crashing. And this is something where, like I said, I was eating really healthy before guys. I was eating pretty quote unquote clean, which I hate that word, but it's insane when we realize sometimes we we believe things and if a lie gets repeated enough, we'll believe it. Having to kind of apply some things for myself and experiment, and this is something I want you guys to, to put into action for yourself. Take one to two weeks, go all in, see how you feel. See how you feel. The proof is in the pudding. Like I swear, that's my that was my theory. I told myself I was going to do it for two weeks. And at the two week mark, I was like, why the heck would I ever stop? I, I just couldn't rationalize going back to eating in a way that didn't make me feel good. So back to honey, we want natural raw honey, not like a processed honey with any other ingredients. Honey is also high in nitric oxide metabolites. So especially when it's raw and unfiltered, if we are deficient in these nitric oxide metabolites, it may play a role in like allergies, histamine responses, inflammation, can influence metabolic function. So there's a lot of underlying benefits in the nutrient profile of honey that I think that plays a big role into why it behaves differently when we consume it versus a you know, form of a processed sugar. So that's why, although some people are going to argue a calorie is a calorie, that's why eating something like honey versus eating something like a Pop-Tart is going to make you feel differently because it's also behaving differently in the body. The next aspect that I really want to focus on today, guys, is animal fats. So why are these fats different or why are we favoring saturated animal fats over a different kind of fat that we're used to being told is quote unquote heart healthy. Animal fats have different fatty acid chains and molecules, and therefore they also, they're causing different effects in the body. One of the things, and we'll talk about what we want to avoid, but other types of fats like seed oils, so think soybean, canola, corn oil, peanut oil, they have high levels of linoleic acid, which cause high levels of oxidation in the body. And let me just tell you guys, that is not good. So here's how that works. We absorb fats that we eat into our adipose tissue, our fat tissue. Because that adipose tissue is hormonal, it sends hormonal messages to the rest of the body. So we have these hormones circulating. So this linoleic acid gets stored in these fat cells and it causes disruptions of the endocrine system thus causing metabolic dysfunction. So when these fat cells, like they can't divide, they're broken when we consume high levels of these seed oils, polyunsaturated fats, it literally breaks our cells like on a molecular level. So they are sending out hormone messages that are broken, causing like inflammation. So that's why when we have like pathological insulin resistance and disease, it's not a carb issue. It's a inflammatory fat issue. So what we want to favor instead is getting our animal fats with these 
longer chain fatty acids that are higher in stearic acid. So that's a compound that is found almost primarily in animal fats. There are a couple other sources, but that actually can help our bodies turn on fat burning because of the molecular makeup. So we want to increase consumption of these and sort of eliminate consumption of any fats high in that linoleic acid. So we want to favor like our tallow, our grass-fed butter, grass-fed beef. It's really sad and it honestly makes me endlessly frustrated because we've been taught growing up to fear fats or even eat low-fat products. I spent so many years eating low-fat or fat-free everything but the really danger of that is being pumped with fillers and processed sugars and inflammatory seed oils. And so that is like not the answer at all. The reason we want to steer clear of these seed oils, so these polyunsaturated fats that are high in the linoleic acid, that's not something we even had access to. This did not exist 200 years ago. So now it's become such a dangerously high percentage of America's fat consumption that when you start realizing, oh my gosh, this food didn't even exist 200 years ago. Does that even, do we even quantify as qualify it as a food? Like this should obviously not be consumed. Like these things that are being marketed as like health foods are filled with seed oils, cause a plethora of oxidation and inflammation in the body. So it's causing all of these downstream effects, these hormonal issues, these metabolic issues, these insulin resistance issues. And so if we can just focus on not necessarily, you know, I'm not trying to fear monger or demonize certain foods, guys, but when you look at the data and you also look at the prevalence of health issues that have happened since this turn towards inflammatory fats, polyunsaturated fats, high in linoleic acid has happened, it's like we can't ignore the dramatic increase in health issues with the, I'm going to draw a correlation. So obviously, yes, we want to avoid, you know, processed sugars, things like that, that are just going to cause blood sugar dysregulation, inflammation, disease. But we want to make sure we're making the primary driver of the food. Remember, like I said, those fats send hormonal messages. We want to be sending healthy, whole messages. We know that hormones are the basis of our foundation. If we can focus on nutrient-dense foods, things that are sending those correct messages and keeping function in the body, we want to avoid that dysfunction as much as possible. One other thing that is important to note is that this linoleic acid can also be found in other animals. So likely due to the diet of the animals like pork, chicken, and it's important to just avoid fattier meats of a lower quality like that. So like think bacon, et cetera, because they're going to have a lower nutrient profile. And if we have the option to have something that is a ruminant, that is beef, lamb, bison, organ meats, or even just a pasture raised, like a high quality other meats that aren't necessarily going to have a poor diet like that, it's going to be favorable. That brings me to another frequently asked question. Does it have to be organic? Does it have to be grass fed? Research shows us that grass fed meat is more nutrient dense. Same with pasture raised eggs. But I think the real like nitty gritty 
of the grass-fed versus the grain-fed conversation is kind of found when we consider not just like how great grass-fed meat is, but more so what it doesn't have in it. Specifically like pesticides, you know, certain things like that that are sprayed on the grains that are fed to cattle are known carcinogens. So if we can avoid things like that, we're going to be a lot better off. The goal here is kind of just to reduce that toxic load. So there's research showing American beef containing higher levels of these basically carcinogens, pesticides, same with organic fruit. So obviously you need to do what your budget allows. This is not an all or nothing. So don't think I can't afford organic, I can't afford grass fed, or I don't have access to that. This is an investment in your health, but if you can just do the best with what you have available, it's still better than nothing. So yes, we're talking about longevity. We're talking about your vitality for life. This is worth it. But if that is a hindrance for you, we don't want to necessarily go, oh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Next question I get commonly is, is red meat unhealthy? There's a lot to unpack here, and this is another conversation that sort of frustrates me. The research really has not shown that red meat is causing health issues. The healthiest people that I know eat red meat religiously. So the benefits are there, and that is that is proof. Even if it's just anecdotal, that's okay with me. But I want you to get curious about yourself. Are you tracking your biomarkers? How's your biofeedback? You know, looking at your hormones, at your insulin sensitivity. If those other markers are improving drastically when we are consuming red meat, there you go. Most people will be like, oh, it raises your cholesterol. But we see upticks in these LDL levels, low-density lipid protein, that's the cholesterol, um, and triglycerides, when we consume more saturated fat. That is true. But since when did we start drawing the correlation between saturated fat and LDL as being bad. We can see that cholesterol goes into these cell membranes. It's essential. Like we need cholesterol. So we demonize it, but I don't think people really understand that it is like, it's a precursor for hormones. We need it for immune function. We need LDL for nutrient transport. So it's not actually a predictor. And if you look at the research, it's not a predictor for cardiovascular disease risk. Eating more saturated fats from animals, yes, your LDL may go up, but as long as you're metabolically healthy, so insulin sensitivity is good, triglycerides are low, etc., you're fine. If you're metabolically healthy, you'll see your biomarkers clear. And LDL then is not a concern. We want to make sure we're looking big picture here. So we've kind of been misled. <laughs> And truthfully, that's why I don't fear red meat, because people are blaming meat and eggs for what the seed oils and the sugar have done. We talked about how it's kind of that's the foundation of this of this issue. So now we kind of understand a little bit more about the why, about why this makes sense just as humans, as the way that we were ancestrally hunting for food. What food did we have available to us? We had honey, we had fruit, we had meat, nose to tail. We have other layers where in a survival situation, if all we had access to was maybe other carbs like potatoes or squash or some vegetables, but that's not what we want to base the foundation of our diet on. So what does this look like in a day? 
What I recommend is at least one gram per pound of body weight protein. So that is going to be kind of typical across the board, very similar to a normal macro diet. Higher levels of protein if you're leaner and your digestion allows for it, lower in the more maybe 0.8 or one gram per pound of goal body weight if your goal is to lose weight. But we want to also increase fats. So we want to match what digestion can tolerate. So it's going to be mostly from your meat intake is where your fats are going to come from. Then from like butter, tallow, suet, which are other types of fats that are found like around the kidneys, etc. And then egg yolks, avocado. So we want to be getting a really good amount of these quality fats in. And then the rest of our intake coming from carbohydrates. So fruit, honey, which are the least toxic carb sources. If you are extremely active and you find that you maybe need more carbs, going to kind of that middle tier of plant foods, so things that are kind of that moderately defended, they're going to be something you just want to pay attention to how you feel, brain you know, function, digestion. So things like pumpkins, sweet potatoes, squash, even maybe a white rice, but recommending like two to three meals a day. Give yourself adequate time overnight in between meals to allow for good digestion. Um, We wanna give our bodies a break from eating in between those. And you'll probably find that your meals should be large enough to last you hours between so that you're not feeling snacky because the more nutrient dense, the higher fat and protein content, the more satiated you're gonna feel and you're gonna have the ability to go longer between your meals. For me, this looks like a few eggs, honey and fruit in the morning. And then I'm going to have lunch post-workout, which is usually about a half pound or a little above with of meat. So I'll do like a ground beef or a ground bison. I'll have more fruit. I'll have some butter. Maybe I'll have half of an avocado and then sometimes more honey too. Then like five to seven hours later, like I said, these are larger meals. You need to allow for digestion and you're going to probably find that energy is good between your meals. Dinner is going to probably be another half pound of meat, more fruit, probably some more butter and honey. And this is a thing, guys. I know that people are like, how will my body react? How will my body adjust to this change of eating? Our bodies are so cool. I wasn't sure what would happen either. And I was truthfully, I said, I'm going to experiment with myself and I'm going to give it two weeks. I immediately felt better because we are still, carbs are still in. We're not necessarily going carb-free. That is not the answer. We're going to run into a lot of issues. Um, No one is supposed to be in ketosis for an extended period of time. And especially if you're active, carbs are your friend. Food volume, though, is probably slightly lower, which actually I think is part of what benefited me a ton when I felt better digestion-wise. Just paying attention, you're going to have to experiment and build a new routine But don't worry, your body is smart and our bodies will adapt. If you're not used to getting fats, I talked about digestion may loosen up a bit for the first few weeks, but that that is not like a long-term thing. That's an adjustment period, especially when you're keeping, you still have some fiber in your diet from fruit. You're having a lot of, animal fats are so good for digestion. So as long as you aren't getting extreme amounts beyond your capacity at a single meal or a single sitting, you should be just fine. And then what about traveling? So if you're on the go, I personally do my best to just plan ahead. Um, Most places you can order a burger, you can order a steak, 
If you want to get really fancy, you can even ask them to like not cook it in any seed oils. But really, if I'm on the go and really in a pinch, I will tend to opt for some no sugar, like no sugar added jerky and fruit or a wild caught like tuna packet for some extra protein. It's not going to be the end of the world. I do my best to eat normally. So even if I'm staying at my parents' house or I'm staying at my sister's, I was at the pool on the 4th of July with my glass Tupperware with ground bison and fruit, and I was perfectly happy. The thing is, guys, is that I don't want to ignore the fact that some people may find this way of eating, oh my gosh, Elsie, how could you eat like that? That feels so restrictive. And I will say that I was a little bit hesitant because coming from a background where I had eating disorder, I definitely was like, I don't want to put any boundaries on myself that are going to feel hard or feel too triggering mentally. But because I have a pretty healthy relationship with food now, and because I am eating foods that I absolutely love, I literally don't have the desire to eat other things. And so I want to choose foods that are going to make me feel good. And whether I'm traveling, eating out, that still remains true. And I tell my clients this all the time. Ask yourself, how do you want to feel after this? If you want to feel good and you know what makes you feel good, you should just be able to modify, make it work with the best that you have available. It doesn't necessarily need to look perfect every day. I know we don't all have a grill out back where we can just grill out food every every meal of the day, but it's not something we need to overcomplicate. And I've actually found that this has freed up a lot of my headspace around food because it's so simple. I'm, my grocery shopping is simple. My meal planning is simple. My meal preparation is simple. And that is a big part that I love about it. But here's the, here's the summary for you guys. I want you to find what works best for you. And if you aren't thriving, find what works for you. Including more nutrient-dense foods is number one. If an improvement for you looks like eating more vegetables, that's probably better than eating McDonald's every day. If for you, you're eating pretty clean and you find that you still just want to continue to optimize, continue to optimize, change things, experiment, keep an open mind. Like I said, I don't believe there's necessarily a one size fits all, but there's no reason we should stay stuck or stay sick if there are other other ways of doing things out there that we haven't tried yet. So I am so thankful for you guys that you could listen to this. If you hung around, I would love if you could share this on your story, tag me, share it with a friend, shoot me a DM on Instagram. If you have any questions, I'm an open book. I'm by no means an expert, but I love to share what I'm doing, what works for me, and just encourage you guys to continue to find that version of yourself that feels absolutely freaking amazing.